Occasionally on NANCAST, we'll have important news from NAN or other sponsors. We're so grateful for the support that allows NANCAST to keep producing engaging content that helps drive improved neonatal outcomes. NAN is excited to announce a special promotion for new international members and grow our vibrant and diverse community this year. New members from outside the United States or Canada can join NAN for only $100 before April 15, 2020. NAN members receive the peer-reviewed journal, Advances in Neonatal Care, access to free and discounted educational and professional development products and events. Members also have the opportunity to connect with neonatal nurses from all over the world on MyNAN, NAN's members-only community forum, and so much more. Visit nan.org cast to learn more and join NAN today. Hi, and welcome to NANCAST. I'm Jill, your host. Here on NANCAST, one of our goals is to bring a voice to the journal, Advances in Neonatal Care. On today's episode, we are going to take an in-depth look with the author on an upcoming series on palliative care that will be featured in the next two editions of Advances in Neonatal Care. Many advances have been made in the last two decades in successfully treating the most vulnerable patients and their families. Focus on curative care, improvements in technological interventions, and pushing the limits of viability in order to save the most vulnerable life has become the predominance in neonatology. Despite these advances, death in the NICU remains frequent. There is an estimated 21 million children around the world that are in need of palliative care to treat their life-limiting and life-threatening conditions at any given time. Approximately 6 million of these children live in the United States. More than 2 million of these children will die, with up to 55% of deaths occurring in infants younger than one years old. This constitutes the highest number of deaths in any pediatric group in the United States. Further, about 44 of these infants die per day in a NICU. Furthermore, many graduates from the NICU have chronic life-threatening illnesses that contribute to infant mortality after discharge. Of course, this isn't the desired outcome for anyone entering the NICU, but is there a way we as healthcare providers can bring the best outcomes that can be given in this situation? It's a great pleasure to welcome Christine Fortney to the podcast to share her amazing work on palliative care and her program of research based on the study of the experiences of critically ill infants at high risk of death in the NICU and their families. Her exploratory work will inform the development of interventions aimed at reducing symptom burden and suffering for infants and families, shed light on the experiences of healthcare workers so that strategies for focused palliative and end-of-life care education and training can be implemented. And this will help our families honor their infant's legacy while laying a positive foundation for life with a complex chronic illness. Let's get right into it. Hi, Chris. I appreciate you taking your time to share with us your work. Thank you, Jill, for having me today. I'm really excited to share what's going to be upcoming in these special issues. There's a lot of great work that's going to be advancing the science and helping us to provide better care um, and advance the science around neonatal palliative and end-of-life care. Yeah, I don't think many healthcare providers feel comfortable about what all palliative care entails. Perhaps they don't really understand fully the definition of what palliative care includes and also its benefits. Um, Could you expand on this? 
Sure. I agree. I think there is a lot of confusion around what palliative care is, and I think that it can sometimes have some negative connotations that sometimes um, people use palliative care as being synonymous with end-of-life care. And so I do think that one of the first things that we have to do is to appropriately define what um, both palliative and end-of-life care are. So the World Health Organization and the American Academy of Pediatrics both consider palliative care to be an overarching concept that begins right when an illness is diagnosed. It supports the patient and the family to relieve suffering across multiple realms, and that can be physical, psychological, social, practical, existential, or spiritual. And it helps to improve their quality of life, helps them to facilitate informed decision-making, and insist with ongoing coordination of care among healthcare providers and across all sites of care. So palliative care continues across the entire illness trajectory, regardless of whether or not curative treatment is being received. So palliative care can be um, thought of as going hand in hand with curative care. And then when and if it's necessary, then it can transition into end of life care and bereavement care. So really end of life care is a component of palliative care, but it's not all that palliative care has to offer to patients and families. And so families shouldn't be afraid um, to have those discussions and to investigate what palliative care could offer the family. And likewise, the healthcare provider should not think of palliative care and offering of palliative care as being a failure um, to what they're trying to offer. Um, but really, it, it goes hand in hand. So palliative care can effectively occur from the perinatal period, as you were saying, how it's a, it, it affects the continuum of care um, and not, not just necessarily in, in the NICU setting. So can you give an example of how palliative care can be introduced in this setting and how it would drive care forward in the NICU for someone that really does understand the true benefit and definition of palliative care and how that would affect um, you know, the care and, and the trajectory of care of that patient uh, forward? Sure. So the provision of quality palliative and end-of-life care um, to patients who have life-threatening or life-limiting conditions does rely on the ability of their providers to refer them for the right care at the appropriate time in their trajectory. And the definitions that a provider uses to make those determinations for care um, could result in a delay in referral or even a lack of referral altogether to either type of care service if they don't understand those definitions. Um, so even a delay in referral may deny that infant and their family the full benefit the palliative and end-of-life care services could add to their comfort level and their quality of life. For example, if an infant is diagnosed with a potentially life-threatening or life-limiting diagnosis who is um, born and transferred and then stabilized in the NICU but then does not respond to aggressive medical treatment and is simultaneously referred to palliative care as the end-of-life approaches, they may not receive the same quality of care as an infant who is received immediately to palliative care on admission to the NICU um, using their 
illness as a trigger for consultation. So that timing is critical in these situations as it can be really uncomfortable for both parents and palliative care providers to meet under those really stressful circumstances and come to a consensus on what could or should be done uh, to support the infant and the family. The more time that can be allowed for those conversations with the family and to discover their wishes or needs, um, the better, to ensure that outcomes, although it may not be a desired outcome, are really the best that they can be given the situation. So those concrete definitions um, may improve understanding and remove barriers to providing early referral to um, or provision of both palliative and end-of-life care services. So for families that are fortunate enough to have a infant with a strong palliative care program in, in place, can you walk us through how that would uh, be done in a, in a perinatal um, setting all the way through possibly um, home um, palliative care, end of life care? So sure, um, as technology has advanced, more infants are being diagnosed with conditions during that prenatal or fetal period. If the condition is considered to be life-threatening or life-limiting, then there are comprehensive perinatal palliative care services that can extend from diagnosis to delivery. And those are now available in many hospitals for those families of infants who will likely die at birth or shortly thereafter. Those families who are referred to palliative care during that time are better prepared to grieve and then make decisions about how they're going to spend that limited time, that precious limited time that they're going to have with their baby. So the first thing that they do is form a birth plan that can be used to communicate the needs and wishes that they have for their infant's end of life. So it's an overview of care from the delivery plan and how the baby's going to be delivered to any comfort measures that they would like to have used during life, memory making, and how the family wants to participate in the end of life. Are they going to have extended family come? Are there siblings that they would like to have involved? Would they like to take family pictures? So all of those sorts of things can be planned well in advance so that there's no misstep and, you know, where they're going to be wasting time, um, you know, when you may only have minutes to hours to spend with that baby. And then 30% of infants who are born alive will live past 72 hours. So it does allow for the possibility of discharge from the medical facility um, to continuation of hospice care services at home or another location as desired by the family. And having the perinatal palliative care service involved allows to have better coordination coordination of those resources that they're going to need to have at home after discharge. Um, for those families who don't have a birth plan or for those who have a birth plan that's not communicated well amongst the healthcare team members, the result is lost time, missed opportunities for bonding or having specific requests met, um, such as those pictures or other special memory-making activities that can occur. So sometimes, you know, we really don't know what might happen. And I think that that's one of the things that is particularly hard um, about 
these illnesses and these conditions. Um, and we don't have good prognostication ability. So as is written by one of the authors in the special series that I thought was just really striking, he wrote, some babies die in utero and some don't. Some babies die during birth and some don't. Some babies die shortly after birth and some don't. Some die before their moms go home and some don't. Some infants who are born alive die before a year of age, and some will live beyond a year. And this is so true for many condi conditions that face babies. So we just don't have good indicators to know who will die, who will survive, and who will survive with a long-lasting chronic condition. Research has given us some clues, but it's not always a clear-cut path. So the closer to that prenatal or fetal diagnosis that a family can receive palliative care, the better. And then, you know, there are the situations where it's not real clear how severe the illness is, um, and so they do get immediately transferred to the neonatal intensive care unit. And because advances in neonatal care now allow for the survival of many infants who would have previously died from their conditions, concerns that we have about poor prognosis and quality of life still necessitate early introduction of palliative care to provide that adequate support to infants and their families. It helps reduce symptoms and suffering, improve quality of life, mitigate distress, and support their complex decision-making. So a lot of times um, there are triggers that NICUs use to initiate a palliative care consult. Usually those are those life-limiting or life-threatening illnesses. But sometimes you know, the infant hasn't really declared themselves which way they might go. Um, so the best thing is for what is called primary neonatal palliative care to occur. And that really is when everyone in the NICU, neonatal nurses, the NICU psychologists, respiratory therapists, pharmacists, speech and physical and occupational therapy, lactation consultants, social workers, chaplains, trainees of all disciplines, neonatal nurse practitioners and physicians can provide that primary palliative care to infants and their families. And this begins with the inclusion of basic management of infant pain and symptoms, basic management of parental anxiety and depression, and basic open and honest discussions about prognosis, goals of care, and code status. And then they can help the family develop individualized care plans um, to help support the specific needs of that infant and their family. However, the palliative care team should be introduced well in advance of any transition to an end-of-life care scenario. So for um, nurses that are caring for these patients that would fit or qualify for uh, palliative care. Um, you know, you mentioned having open and honest communication between the healthcare team and the families. Um, what kind of education or um, knowledge does a nurse need to have in order to start these communications and also feel comfortable, um, you know, bringing up palliative care and bringing up palliative care with the uh, healthcare team and, and acting as an advocate for this patient and family that they see are struggling with um, the diagnosis. If it's something that maybe 
prenatally we didn't know that was going to happen or, you know, something that has changed throughout the time in the NICU, their care has changed or, or their um, prognosis? So, yes, education is available for nurses and for other healthcare professionals. There are actually a lot of different certificate programs and master's degrees that are coming available for education in palliative care. Physicians can do palliative care fellowships, things of that nature. So there's a lot of education that's coming about. There is one nursing education program in particular that has been around for several years and is really outstanding. It's called LNEC, or End of Life Nursing Education Consortium, and this is a national education initiative to improve palliative care and its delivery. They started out with a general curriculum and then introduced a pediatric curriculum that was developed by 20 pediatric palliative care experts to teach that perinatal and neonatal palliative care skill set to nurses and healthcare professionals who work in the acute setting, such as the NICU. So the topics that they cover include communication, ethical and legal issues, cultural and spiritual considerations, pain and symptom management, loss, grief, and bereavement, and then care at the time of death, which can be a special time uh, for families and for healthcare providers. So Dr. Betty Farrell, who has been one of the leaders of this innovative educational platform, has a manuscript in the series that discusses just how important education is to the delivery of effective and appropriate palliative care. And I want to note that most medical and nursing schools do not include specific required courses on palliative care, but instead just sprinkle that content throughout the curricula, which in my opinion doesn't really give enough focus to this important content. Some hospitals are now offering opportunities to receive palliative care training, such as LNAC, and several online opportunities are also available at affordable rates so that nurses can get this content. Um, and LNAC is one of those online options that nurses can pursue on their own if they're interested in doing that. You're exactly right. I, I think a lot of times um, nurses sort of learn on the job um, regarding palliative care, even bereavement care. Um, it's it's not touched on at all um, during nursing school or even during your orientation period when you're a new graduate starting out um, on your new units. So I do think it's really important that, you know, we we have this education because it's something that we face every day and, and considering the high rate of infant death and, and the fact that we have this new technology and we're, you know, saving the most vulnerable patients, it's really important that nurses take the time to educate themselves um, and read up on this and learn how to communicate um, with the families and really be an advocate for, for their patient and their families and even educate the healthcare um, team um, and, and, you know, bring them up to the light to see that, yes, this palliative care is very beneficial. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned earlier, it's it's not admitting failure. It's saying that we're adding to this patient's care and we're going to increase their comfort um, and, and hopefully, you know, give them the um, best outcome that we can as, as possible and, and make such a, you know, a, a horrible situation a little bit better. Absolutely. And, you know, when I started working and being interested in this area, 
10 to 12 years ago, there really wasn't much out there. And so you really did learn on the job. Um, but now there are some really wonderful resources that are available in the literature. So by going to PubMed, um, you know, you can search for neonatal palliative care, and there is some good direction there. Brian Carter and Anita Catlin published a neonatal palliative care protocol that kind of goes through the steps of how to deliver palliative care in the NICU. Um, and a few years ago, I published a model on the framework for a good neonatal death, and that included um, the various individuals, such as the infant parent and the interdisciplinary healthcare team, who interact together within this dynamic environment of the NICU to influence infant and parent experiences in end of life. And really, there is the shared goal of reducing distress and discomfort for both the infant and their caregivers. So being able to see how all those key in factor, key factors influence outcomes, including parent and healthcare provider perceptions, um, ensure that you know parents are satisfied with the care, even though it's not the outcome that they wanted, they're satisfied that everything was done that could be done. And it also helps to reduce caregiver distress around that provision of care and knowing that you did a good job with the family. This care can be very distressing to nurses and the healthcare team. Um, is there um, a lot of literature out there discussing how distress is an issue with nurses dealing with palliative care and end-of-life care? Yes, actually, it is really well documented in the literature that nurses experience distress while caring for critically ill patients. And high levels of stress in NICU nurses in particular um, has been documented with one study showing 49% of NICU nurses experienced moderate to severe secondary traumatic stress from caring for critically ill infants. And NICU nurses in particular also experience compassion fatigue, which has been found to significantly increase stress and subsequent burnout. So burnout in the NICU leads to increased absenteeism, decreased morale, fatigue, exhaustion, and even increased medical errors. So determining those specific factors that may increase nurse distress is crucial to inform our efforts and to target interventions that can reduce distress and help improve nurses in their functioning um, and help ensure the provision of safe care to critically ill infants in the NICU. And in response to this, in, in a recent study, my team and I explored associations between nurse-perceived infant suffering and quality of life and self-reported nurse distress in nurses who were caring for infants in the NICU with life-threatening or life-limiting illness. I just had this hypothesis that you know, what they perceived about how many symptoms the infant was experiencing and whether or not they thought they were suffering and what they felt their quality of life was like as they were giving care to them could have an impact on, you know, their levels of distress. And our results significantly showed that perceptions of poor infant quality of life and increased infant suffering did increase self-reported nurse distress. And that was regardless of how long the nurse had been practicing. 
You know, you could think if it was a new nurse, maybe they were distressed because they hadn't seen it before. Or maybe, you know, a nurse who's been practicing a long time, um, you know, they're just kind of burned out on that and they have compassion fatigue. But really, we saw this across all levels of nursing. It didn't matter if they had been practicing for six months or for 26 years. Everyone was reporting that, you know, the more that they perceived the infant was, you know, having those symptoms um, that they felt they couldn't manage, that their infant had poor quality of life, um, and that they were suffering from the treatments that they were giving to them, they reported um, that they were distressed by that. Well, that's a, a very large, a half half of the NICU nurses, you know, experiencing stress, moderate to severe stress when caring, you know, for this patient. It's, you know, I, I think a lot of it, too, is just the unknown um, and not really being informed about palliative care. And it's a really uncomfortable situation when you don't have a lot of experience and background um, in it. So I think that's makes it even more important for, for the discussion that we're having about palliative care and, you know, all the resources that are out there and accessible to NICU nurses, whether they've been practicing, you know, like you said, for six months or, or 20 plus years, you know, it, it all affects us the same. Um, and, I, and I think it's really important to, for us to be having this discussion to get that um, out there. Yeah, and I think going along with the education piece is the self-care piece, too. Nurses give so much of themselves to others that they often don't take time to take care of themselves. And so giving nurses permission to take care of themselves, to, you know, do some self-care, to talk with their colleagues about these issues we really need to give nurses space to do that and other healthcare professionals as well. We all are so deeply impacted by um, the care that we give to these families that um, really everyone needs to be taking time out for some self-care, especially when they've had a tough case or, you know, they've lost a patient that they've been taking care of for quite a while or, you know, even if, the patient hasn't died yet, but has been in the hospital for a long time. Some of these patients are in for months or even years. Um, so, you know, just making sure that you are filling your own bucket so that you can provide the care that is needed for that baby and their family. Yeah, I agree. I think self-care is extremely important. Um, I think all too often we are, you know, fought with like taking care of a patient that passed away on our shift and then we need to collect ourselves and then move on. And, you know, more often than not, we don't have that time to decompress or talk about what we saw on our feelings and we have to keep them hot, hidden and, and bottled up and, and move on. And, you know, if you're not taking care of yourself, how are you going to be able to take care of these babies and their families? And I think that self-care is something that is is not talked about a lot in, in, in NICU nursing and we don't focus on it. Um, but I do think that's a very important um, aspect, especially when you're dealing with this such this such vulnerable uh, population, and especially in, in palliative care settings as well. So, you know, we discussed nurses' distress, you know, taking care of these um, vulnerable patients in palliative care, but the most important thing that we need to discuss is the perspective of the parents. You know, being a NICU parent in general is very stressful and distressing, but I can't imagine what kind of feelings these parents are having when they're dealing with a 
with their infant in a palliative care program and end-of-life program. Um, can you discuss with us a little bit about your work on uh, parental distress and the perspective of the parents? Sure. So, yeah, in addition to those nurses and other health care providers having some distress around palliative care, so do the parents. I mean, this is their baby. They're in the NICU. They're, um, you know, having difficulty maintaining their caregiver role, um, establishing a bond with their baby because of everything that's going on. This isn't often what they expected, um, even if they were you know, had a fetal diagnosis, they can't really anticipate what that experience is going to be like in the NICU. Um, And moms are recovering, and, you know, there's just a lot of things that just happened that they didn't really anticipate. So these infants spend most, if not all, of their life in the hospital. The parents are there. They might feel isolated from their support network, such as, you know, their family and their friends. Their distress is further exacerbated by the burden of making difficult treatment decisions and then witnessing their infant suffering due to physical symptoms and changes in their appearance. And in fact, uh, parent perceptions of infant suffering at the end of life have been associated with elevated post-traumatic stress symptoms and prolonged grief up to three years following the death of an infant. Um, Work by um, Youngblood and Bruton showed that parents may experience uh, several negative health outcomes as a result, um, such as increased hospitalizations of their own, increased onset of new healthcare conditions, increased medication usage for any chronic conditions that they might have, and increased mental health utilization, just to name a few. And, you know, our team has really been interested in um, parents' perceptions of symptoms and suffering and quality of life and how that impacts their distress. And so our results have shown as well that parents who perceive that their infant had unresolved symptoms and greater suffering may report less satisfaction with their care and may be a greater risk for distress after the death of the infant. So paying attention to the assessment and the alleviation of infant symptoms, improving staff knowledge about palliative care, developing structured bereavement follow-up programs um, can really help enhance the healthcare satisfaction and long-term family outcomes. So parents value comprehensive family-centered care in the NICU, even if it's not the outcome that they want. They value honest and open communication. They really know when they're not being told the truth. They know when their infant isn't doing well, and they know when they're not being given the full story. So really, you know, All it comes down to for parents is that we provide them with the support that they need, and we just are open and honest with them about the options that are available and the treatment that's available for their child. You know, this can have long-term implications not only for their health, but also for future decisions that they're going to make about their family. It impacts their decisions to have additional children um, and all sorts of things. So, you know, the better that we can all come together to make sure that palliative care is offered at an appropriate time and in an appropriate way to these families, they will be 
very satisfied with the care that they receive, even if the outcome isn't what they would have desired. Exactly. And I think we have to take home the point that the effects that we have on these families go beyond the NICU doors. And, you know, how we are caring for their patient now can affect them many, many years into the future. So, Chris, what is the one point that you want the listeners to know about palliative care as they go to start reading the series in the journal in the next few months? Thank you so much. I think that You know, the one most important thing to take away from today is that palliative care continues across the illness trajectory, regardless of whether or not curative treatment is being received. And then when and if necessary, it can transition to end of life and bereavement care. And really, the earlier that we can start providing this care to infants and their families, the better it's going to be for everyone involved. You're so right. Thanks, Chris, for joining us today. Your work is amazing, and the everlasting effects it has on our families is invaluable. Look out for Chris's featured series in Advances in Neonatal Care to read more. I hope you all feel empowered after today's episode to be an advocate for your patient and family. Make sure you never miss an episode of NANCAST by subscribing now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks for your support and letting us into your ears. Have a great day.